is related more to Advent. And now for a lot of you, maybe somewhere in your memories of growing up, if you grew up in a traditional church, you may think, oh yeah, I've, I've heard of this Advent thing, and I, we used to be part of it, and I was maybe an acolyte, any acolytes as children, you know, you lit, lit the candle, yeah, all of that. So, so somewhere in your subconscious, it's there. But a lot of you, if you're like me, most of your church life was in kind of a non-denominational setting, and you're like, Advent, that's like a fancy word for Christmas time, right? And uh, it's sort of like a more spiritual way of saying the holidays and all of that. And actually, it's not. Uh, um, one of, one of the, the things about Advent is it's a separate season of the church year, and it's meant to kind of lead us toward Christmas. And Christmas traditionally begins on the 25th or you know, midnight and Christmas Eve, and then goes the full 12 days and all of that. Now here, what's the point of, of, of doing this? I mean, can, can we say Merry Christmas? Of course you can say Merry Christmas. I'm okay with that. I'm not gonna be, we're not fussy about any of this stuff. But what's the reason why we would even want to say, hey, let's engage thoughtfully in Advent together? I think that to answer this question, I would say the same thing that I would say about any season of the church year. It does two things really well. It helps us to center on Christ. Every season of the church year, if you're, if you're um, an astute observer, you will have picked up on this. The church year begins in Advent and then sort of goes all the way to Easter uh, and then takes us into a little bit of common time, a six-month span, and then after that, you know, we start it sort of back up. But the whole half of this Christian year, whose life does it follow? Christ. It begins with us anticipating his arrival. It follows the life of Christ into his suffering. And we go through Lent kind of thinking about our own lowering ourselves. And we, we journey toward the cross and then the empty tomb. This whole thing, the point of all of this is Jesus. Uh, I've often said that the point of the liturgy is not the liturgy. The point of the church year is not the church year. The point of all of this is to help us intentionally center our lives on Christ. Uh, we all mark time in certain ways. I mark time by, uh, you know, by school and by our children's events and calendars and all of this stuff. But there's, there's this calling in the church year that says, what if we could, in the midst of all the small ways that we mark time, what if there's a larger way that we can mark time by the life of Christ? And it can, so, so, in other words, it helps us center on Christ. But secondly, it connects us with the body of Christ. It's wonderful every time we journey through a season like this, we remember, you know what? There are millions of Christians around the world who are walking through this season exactly. And they too are longing in their hearts for Christ's return. They too are anticipating his coming. So Advent um, is about longing. And, and really, if you think about it that way, maybe for a lot of you where the, the, for whom the holidays are a sad time or a difficult time, Advent can be all of a sudden a way to give voice to that. For a lot of, for a lot of us, a lot of um, going to different parties and different things can seem like a downer because it just reminds you of maybe a, a sadness in your own heart because of a family situation or a loss or an illness or whatever the case may be. Well, The thing about Advent is it's not only a moment to rejoice in Christ's coming when he came 2,000 years ago, but it's also a season to long for his return when he will culminate and bring together the work that he began at the cross. Do you believe that? And so so for any of you that are saying, well, yeah, yeah, there is kind of an ache or a sadness or, or, or a pain in my own heart or in my own soul... Advent has this way of saying, all right, well, let me call you to a larger story. This isn't just the holidays and snow falling and hot chocolate. I love all of that. But this is also that moment where we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and rescue us. 
Come and complete this. Come and bring your reign. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It began with the cross and with the resurrection. It will culminate one day at his return. You believe that, church? So it's a season full of hope. And there's different ways that we do that. So if you were here this morning around 10 or 10.05, 10.10, I think it finally was uh, today. Um, but we dimmed the lights and, and, and the, the worship team with thanks to Greg and Nancy playing the hammer dulcimer and the oboe. Wasn't that beautiful? And they played O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And just gorgeous. And Matt walked in the, sec- the second Advent candle. That's meant to sort of make us remember, here's light breaking into the darkness. Our world was dark. Our world was stuck without hope. And then God broke in. Also over here, you can see a painting going on. You're wondering what's going on. Well, Susie Jernigan, along with Emma and and a couple of other gals, they're, they're working on a painting that will each week progress a little bit more. And all the way up until Christmas Eve where you'll see it completed. And I I won't tell you what the painting is, but I know. (laughs) But the point here again is another picture, picture of longing. Of how we see in part. Of how the kingdom has come, but not yet. Of how Jesus' rule is arriving. It's progressively arriving in some ways. And this painting kind of makes us think of that. So there's all these little ways that make us think of Advent. This morning, the second Sunday of Advent, traditionally the theme or the word, you know, last week was hope, and the the word traditionally for the second Sunday of Advent is the word peace. And so I thought right away of the very famous text in Luke 2, the Song of the Angels. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to it together. We'll start with verse 10. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. You might want, if you're into underlining or highlighting on your e-Bible or whatever, um, just underline that word, all. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great assembly of heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. And they said, glory to God in heaven and on earth Peace among those whom he favors. Now, the average Christmas junkie is going to stop and say, wait a minute, on earth, peace among those he favors? I'm sorry, that's not the Christmas card version. Because the Christmas card version from the King James is, what is it? Peace on earth and goodwill to men. And we sort of have this kind of this phrase, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, and so it makes all of us maybe a little bit more warm and fuzzy because it's Christmas time. And so we sort of, yeah, peace, you know, peace on earth. And, you know, a couple of days ago was the, the marking of John Lennon's death. And so, you know, we think of that song, you know, peace and Christmas. And, and isn't that what this is about? And it's just sort of generic kind of peace on earth. The interesting thing is, in the last, uh, I think, couple decades or so, They've found better, more reliable manuscripts for Luke. And in, in, many of the, in, in these manuscripts, the way that the um, Greek phrases this sentence changes the meaning a little bit. It's not peace on earth and goodwill to men, but rather many scholars, many commentators have said, you know what, based on these more reliable manuscripts, a better way to say this is peace on earth to the ones whom God has favor on. This isn't a generic peace that the angels are announcing, but rather they're saying peace to the favored ones. 
Maybe for our sake this morning, to kind of put it in our phraseology, you'd say, well, peace to the favored ones. Now, for some of you, you say, well, Glenn, that's not very good news to me because now I got to know who are the favored ones. And that brings up a whole nother set of issues because if we're honest, maybe this brings up immediately the insecurity in our own heart and we say, the favored ones, that's not me. I'm always the not favored one. I'm always the one who's sort of left out. And and think about maybe all the reasons that you could uh, call to mind. Or maybe if you really stopped and let your the little bitty voice in your heart kind of speak, you would, you would hear it say, the favored ones? That's not me. I mean, that may be you, Glenn, because you're the pastor and all. But if you knew me or my story, I'm not the favored one. I mean, I was sort of, I'm lucky that if I get into heaven. You know, I'm kind of, I struggle with this sin and this sin and I have a bad temper and I have a way of being self-destructive. My relationships seem to fall apart. I tend to ruin everything. I've had marriages fail. I've had jobs that I've lost. I'm not the favored one. So, I, you know, maybe, maybe for those Christians who, like, go to prayer meetings, you know, maybe to those Christians who read their Bibles all the time, maybe those are the favored ones. I mean, I suppose it's good news then if you're going to change Luke 2, to be peace to the favored ones. I suppose that's good news for a few, but not me. Why is it that whenever we hear a word about God's favor, we tend to immediately disqualify ourselves? And maybe we disqualify ourselves because of moral reasons. Well, yeah, I failed this way. I still struggle with this, or I was you know, this or that. And I just, I can't be that. Or maybe we disqualify ourselves for experiential reasons, or, or, or maybe it's experiences in life that sort of say to us, I can't be a favored one because if I were, life would be working a little bit better than it is right now. If this is what it means to be God's favorite, then I don't want to be his enemy. <laughs> I, went to, I, I, I went to a great university, I went to a great school, but I met a lot of charismatics there who had a very interesting way of thinking about God's favor. And they translated God's favor almost into like a lucky charm, you know, to where if you had it, then you were going to get that parking spot by J.C. Penney, you know. If, or, <laughs> anyway, if, if you had God's favor, then, then you know, th- your business deals, it was almost like God's favor equals Midas touch. And it really had very little to do with biblical theology and much more to do with just the human philosophy for, or the human love of pleasure and success. And so the favor of God was tantamount to the person who's got it all working, the person who's got life, for whom life works out. And so when we think of this verse and you say, peace to the favored ones, and you're saying, well, that's not me, because I can tell you my life experience. This hasn't worked, and this hasn't worked, and this hasn't worked. The old Catholic priest, Henry Nouwen, wrote in his, his famous little book, The Life of the Beloved, he said, sometimes when we don't believe in our blessedness or in our favoredness, we tend to see every moment of suffering as a confirmation of our rejectedness. Think about that. When you don't believe in your favoredness or in your blessedness, then every moment of suffering 
becomes just another, I knew it. Just another confirmation of your rejectedness. Just another moment that says, yep, I knew it. God's mad at me. I knew it. I should have prayed more. I knew it. If I had just named six demons instead of five, none of this would have happened in my prayer time. That's a charismatic joke. (laughs) And whatever the reason may be, we have convinced ourselves that whoever these ones are that God favors, it can't be me. And it can't be me, Glenn, because you don't know the report I got from the doctor last week. You don't know what's happening in my marriage. You don't know what's ha- You don't know. And if God really did smile on me, then this doesn't look like it. It's interesting when we go through hardships and suffering, the kinds of questions that begin to arise. New Life Downtown, as I've said many times, is an extension of New Life Church as a whole. And today, December 9th, is a, is a very significant day for the New Life Church family. Many of you know what I'm talking about right away because you've been part of New Life for, for a while. Others of you are thinking, well, what? And this morning, I want to introduce you to a part of our family story, a part of our New Life Church family story. Five years ago, we had a very tragic event that happened up at our main campus where two young girls lost their lives as a a gunman came on the property. But today marks the five-year anniversary of it. And I want you to watch a video that our team has put together. It's just four or five minutes. But it's a video from the parents talking about their journey over the last five years. And I want you to hear them talking about the way God has been with them. And they're careful not to sort of be triumphalistic about it and be like, woohoo! But but neither are they defeatist about this. And I wonder if in hearing their story, it might illustrate for us a little bit about what it means to find God's peace in the midst of trouble. Let's watch this together. I was there that day. Holly and I were both there. And she was in the building with, with our two girls. And I was out in the other part of the parking lot. And um, I remember going home later that afternoon, and my buddy called me and he said, he said, he said, Glenn, this has got to be it, right? This is how new life ends. It's over. I said, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know. A few days later, we came in on a Wednesday night. How many of you were there? the family meeting. We came in, we heard scriptures being read, and then we had this moment where we sang the song that we sang this morning. We sang Overcome. And there was something that kind of rose up in our hearts that says, God's not done. This is not the end. And I keep thinking about this passage in Luke 2 because I keep thinking about what it must have been like to have been Israel in that moment. To have been a people that saw atrocities, that saw tragedies, saw their children carried off into slavery, saw the Assyrians come and wreak havoc, and then a few hundred years later, seeing the Babylonians come and take them away and rip families apart and force them into slavery and force them to live in a land that they didn't know. And generation after generation after generation until they began to return and then they returned but it still wasn't quite the same and they found homes that were burned down and they found people living 
in their neighborhoods and, and harvesting their fields that didn't belong there. And they tried to rebuild the temple, but it looked like a shack. And the legend kind of goes that as they saw the second temple, they just sat and wept because they remembered the first temple and how it used to be. And they thought to themselves, it'll never be that good again. Surely we've been too unfaithful. Surely too much tragedy has happened. Surely too much sorrow has taken place. Surely this is the end. And one day a choir of angels breaks out in the heavens. And they come to the lowest of the low. They come to the shepherds. If even the best, most religious, most devout Jew was beginning to despair and beginning to imagine that they were forgotten, then imagine the lowest of the low, a shepherd too unclean to even set foot in the temple. And here these angels come and say, there is astonishing news. Peace to the favored ones. And yes, I'm talking to you. The shocking message of Luke's gospel is that God has come. He's come to the most unlikely, most unexpected. Who are the favored ones? The lonely, the weak, the outcast, the unworthy. But let's get real. Who are the favored ones? It's you and me. Right here in the midst of the pain, right here in the midst of the questions, right here in the midst of the unworthiness. We may feel forgotten, but God calls you favored. Think of that this morning. You may feel forgotten, but God calls you favored. So, well, okay. All right, so what does God's favor mean? What does it bring to us? I think in a word we could say what the angels said, it brings peace. A peace that's beyond anything that we could imagine. See, Caesars in Jesus' day were promising peace. The Pax Romana, the great Roman peace. Look, no more violence. Look, except that we've got this peace because we've been violent. Look, an artificial peace. It's not all that different in our world where we sort of believe that maybe the strength of an empire or the strength of an army or the strength of a nation or the strength of an economy or the strength of a whatever is the thing that gives peace Can I stand here this morning and say to you what the angels said to the shepherds? The only peace there is comes from God. It comes from Jesus the King. Not from the strength of Caesar. Not from the strength of a bank account. Not from the strength of an economy or a financial situation. The only true and lasting saving peace is the peace that King Jesus has come to bring. So what is this peace? Many of the commentators said, look, this is peace in a Messiah sense. This is the kind of peace that brings salvation, the wholeness kind of peace, the peace of everything sort of coming together. We heard a portion of Colossians 1, verse 20, in our New Testament reading, verse 20 says, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of the cross, God's peace is things being put back together again. It's not a peace that makes you forget about trouble. It's not a peace that sort of says, oh yeah, let's just kind of, you know. It's not a peace that doesn't go through trouble. It's not a peace that is the absence of war or strife or difficulty. It's a peace that says, right now God is beginning to pull this fractured world 
back together, beginning to heal it. So Glenn, but that, that's, that's nice, and, and isn't some of that this future hope that we're talking about, that, that Advent makes us remember that there is this future moment where God will sum up all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus. Ephesians 1.10 says that. Romans 8 gives us a picture of it. Revelations 21 gives us a picture of it. Yes, 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 but did you know there is a kind of peace that even begins now? Because it's God beginning to put you back together. It's peace with God. If the world is out of joint, and any time we see a tragedy, whether an illness or something like this with violence, any time we experience tragedy, we are reminded the world is out of joint. It's dislocated. But the truth is the world is an expression or a reflection of human hearts that are out of joint. It's human lives that are dislocated, that are fractured, that have come apart from our Union with God, and it's there that God begins to start. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through the faithfulness combined with our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this isn't just cutesy talk. This isn't like word tricks. Well, we've got peace in here. The peace that we have with God is the first installment of the peace that He is bringing to His world. When, I, when you sit down and you talk with a friend and you talk about the headlines of the, of the day and you say, well, look at this situation, look at this situation, boy, the world is messed up. You say, yes. But you know, we are, there is a real king of this world. His name is Jesus. The angels sang His birth because He's begun to already Bring things back together. And the fact that it happens in your own heart first is the beginning of it. Your peace with God begins is a sign that this thing has begun. I think for all of us who know what it's like to have our hearts set right, to have our lives be at peace with God, to be set into right alignment you understand the miracle of grace. Because we might as well have, we, 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 to say peace to the favored ones all of a sudden sounds redundant because now you get it. I have peace with God because He has chosen to have favor on me though I did nothing to deserve it. I could never have been good enough. I could never have earned it. I could never have worked hard enough or proved myself to God. That's why Luke has his gospel beginning with the shepherds. And then he goes on to the Beatitudes and he says, Blessed are the poor, lucky are the unlucky. He's saying this king is bringing about a great reversal. Mary's song, she sings of the princes being brought down and the lowly being raised up. Jesus is the kind of king that brings about a great reversal. Qualifications for being the favored one is simply this. Recognize your brokenness. How can I get peace with God? Begin by saying that you are out of joint with God. Broken, fractured, out of sync. It doesn't begin by saying, God, look how good we are. Look how awesome we are. Look how wonderful we are. Hi, sweetheart. I'm not sure where she is. But that, that does sound critical. I know, I know. I, I really don't know where your mother is. Um, peace with God. Go in peace, honey. 
Um, thank you, Haley. Yeah, just kind of help her out a little bit. <laughs> it's a troubled world. Peace with God. What does that mean for us in this world and in this life? Well, secondly, it means peace in a troubled world. Jesus, at the end of John's gospel, says, Look, I've told you this so that trusting in me, you'll be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace in this godless world. You continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world. This is the verse that became a landmark verse for our church five years ago. It says, Look, we're going to believe that even in the midst of trouble, God's peace has come into it. And it's not a peace that means the absence of trouble, but it's a peace that means the presence of God in the midst of trouble. Because think, if your heart has been set right with God, then instead of experiencing suffering as confirmation of your rejectedness, you can endure suffering because of the hope of redemption. Do you see how that changes everything? If you start by saying, I'm not the favored one, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, then you experience suffering and you say, well, I knew it, I'm rejected. But if you say, you know what, Jesus changed all of that in Jesus you are now the favored ones and you have been made at peace with God, then when we go through hardship, as, as all of us do, we can say, you know what? There is God who is with me. There is this peace that has set me in alignment with him. And the thing that's happened in here is going to happen out there one day. So I endure this in the hope of the peace that he brings. Amen? And now we want to say, well, 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 great. You know, that's, that's, that's great, I suppose. I could try to feel better about that. But, but, but now what? What now? What do we do with this? What did the shepherds do after hearing the song of the angels? What did they do? You can yell it out. They went and worshipped Jesus. They brought others with them. They said, come on, let's go. They spread the word. If we are the ones who've become recipients of this peace of God, our task now is to begin to announce it into the world, to begin to carry His peace into the world, to announce His favor into the world, to begin to say, all right, everything is different now. I see differently. I think differently. Do you know the amazing thing about the Works family? Is they reached out to the parents of the gunman. And there was a meeting in Pastor Brady's office where those two families had lunch together. Brady was just telling us, a few of us, a bit more about that story the other day. And he said he was sick that day, didn't feel like going into that lunch appointment. And the miracle that took place that day as two parents spoke words of forgiveness to one another. And David works, the father begins to talk to the parents of the gunman, said, we, we grieve with you. you, you lost your son today too. What? Spoke words of forgiveness. They prayed together as they had their meal. It is only possible to spread that kind of peace when you've experienced that kind of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Why? Because they are children of God. When you've been made right with God, when you have been set right with God, 
you live in a way that leaves the world scratching their heads. So I wouldn't do that. I'd never forgive that person. I'd never let that remark go. Do you know what she said? Do you know what he did? Do you know what this means? And and you say, hang on. You've been made a child of God. You who were enemies with God through Christ have been made children of God. You've been given a peace beyond understanding. Demonstrate a peace that makes no sense. Live out a kind of peace to others that makes no sense except for Jesus. I think that's a wonderful way of thinking about this. But James gives us a stern warning in James chapter 2. He says, imagine a brother or sister who's naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of us said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs in the same way faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity? I can't end this morning and say, all right, let's thank God for the peace that he's given us. Now go now and carry his peace because I would be tempting you to do exactly what James says not to do. To go and find others and say, oh, well, peace to you, brother. This isn't like the word of faith thing where you can just sort of speak peace and then, ooh, I receive peace. James says, you want to show peace, show it tangibly. Show it in the form of a warm blanket. Show it in the form of a warm meal. We who have been made at peace with God, we who are the favored ones, go and bring the favor and peace of God in the form of something tangible to someone else. That's why this morning we have three opportunities for you to serve. it's, it's, It's not just bad planning that we have all three of this on one sun on the same Sunday morning. Might be partly that. I'm just kidding. But it's also to help you think. Because some of you will say, you know what? I can do something Christmas week. We bring our family and We'll just go bring a meal, maybe two days after Christmas, maybe sometime before New Year's, maybe we'll bring a breakfast. Maybe. What else do they need? Go ask Bobby what the homeless families in our city need. And Maybe others of you are saying, you know what? Starting in January, I'd love to kind of be in an environment where I can disciple and teach and invest in young people. Go see Britt and talk about young life. But there's something else that I think all of us can do. New Life, in our global efforts, you've heard me say that in our local efforts, we try to streamline it so we we can do more for fewer people rather than a little bit for lots of people. The centerpiece of our global engagement is a partnership with with two communities in Swaziland. Swaziland is is an independent kingdom kind of near and within-ish South Africa. Uh, I went there this spring with a team. In fact, if you're here and you were on the Swazis, you can just come forward so everybody can see as I'm talking. And Chris, you can come up too. And we visited two of these communities and that, that New Life is in, in partnership with. And the way it works is, is an amazing thing because there are local pastors in Swaziland who do the actual work of the ministry. Any of you involved in global efforts know that if you don't have locals involved, it's not sustainable long term. So there are local pastors that are discipling others. They have a leadership school. And these people go out into these communities each week, and do Bible lessons and stories and all of this stuff with the children. And then the, the locals are connected with a, a, a group there that, that helps kind of coordinate the efforts, and then they connect back with a, a, a ministry here in our city called Children's Hope Chest. And Children's Hope Chest, what, what they do, their, their model is to get a whole church community to adopt another community around the world. So the idea is communities 
to communities where we know, we know what we need in our own community, but it's healthy for us to look beyond our community to another one, isn't it? And so in Swazi, when, when we went, I mean, you guys, we had a team of about eight of us or so, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Jason and Jen. That's, where, that's how Jason and Jen, whose wedding was last week, that's how they met on the Swazi team. The next time I lead a missions trip, <laughs> y'all best be signing up. All right. <laughs> Who is? Besh, yep, who's from Swazi. And, um, and, and Chris, come, come here, Chris. Chris works for Children's Hope Chess, and he was on our team. And uh, we're, we're going to watch this video because Chris and, the, and, and Ben and the team made a little recap video of some of the New Life trips and ex- to explain how the sponsorship thing works. A lot, of you, a lot of you have kids that you kind of, you know, you, you sponsor through other organizations. It's great. We don't want to take away from any of that. But there's a special way in which this works. And basically the idea is every child within that community that gets sponsored, the money goes into a bigger pot that helps all the kids in that community. Swazi is the highest uh, HIV rate of any country in the world. Uh, there are children that, that, are, that love Jesus but need a meal. And so let's, let's watch... Um, this two-minute video. Sorry, I called you guys. Yeah, take a seat. Watch this video, and then we'll, we'll, we'll bring it together. Chris, if you'd stand. And, and um, Chris is part of our team here. He's the guy always loading and unloading the truck each week. I know. He needs help. He needs help. But Chris, tell us, tell us today what the most um, you know, tangible way of us getting involved is. Yeah, sure. Well, as a, as a church body, we are partnering with these two communities but individually there's a way that, that you can can respond in that way and can in, can interact in in this uh, sponsoring these two communities so you can be a sponsor uh, to sponsor one or two kids um, and just like Glenn said that those funds could go to a, a one pot for the community in Gege and Makiane uh, to support all of the kids that are in the program there and even kids that aren't in the program that turn up anyway um, so that's a way that you can engage in it. And we would never want it to just be a, pl- a time where you just write a check and you send mm-hmm. it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want, we want you to know that that goes to supporting three phases of survive and then thrive and succeed, where we want to walk with these kids and support them and their families mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in, in encourage them to kind of be able to themselves out of mm-hmm. the situation that they're in, um, but also doing it through discipleship. Um, mm-hmm. So that goes to, su- to support them through discipleship with regular food, basic medical attention, um, and then again, sponsorship, and, and access to clean water. Um, and so as a sponsor, we want you to, to, to support financially, but also write letters to say, hey, to this kid that, that may have lost their parents due to HIV or whatever, to say, look, mm-hmm. I know who you are. Mm-hmm. I have your photo is on my fridge, and I pray for you. Mm-hmm. That is such a powerful thing. And well, one of the things, yeah, you one of the things that we would do. We were even playing soccer with Matt and and Colleen and I were playing soccer, and Jason. And one of the things they loved, they would just fall over, and they just loved just to pick them up to make sure they were okay, and then they would run off and keep, you know chase Fall the soccer again. ball again, you know, and just to, for us to be able to speak life into them to say, look, I know who you are, and I pray for you, right. and I pray for your families. Well, and you and I got to meet yeah. the two different children that we sponsored. And one of the more powerful moments, we were just talking about this, is we got to visit some of these, their homes and to sit in their homes with them and bring them a little gift. And, and there's this one grandma that we visited. She had like six or seven grandkids that were all, that all of a sudden she was now the primary caregiver for. And, 
And we showed up, and we'd hiked a little bit, and, and we'd brought in this huge bag of flour and this bag of rice, and, and we're sitting there, and we had the opportunity to say, we're here not to just say, well, God bless you, but we were able to say, here's some food as a sign that you are not forgotten, but that God calls you favor. And this grandma, you know, we thought, well, how is she going to respond to that? I mean, we almost feel awkward saying that, you know, easy for us to say. And they, they, start, they start crying. And one, this one grandma says, I'd just been praying Psalm 23 earlier today, trusting the Lord to be our shepherd. This particular grandma says to, to, to us, she says, see those pots over there? I tell my grandkids every day, it's my job to clean them up, but God's the one that's going to provide what goes in the pots. And we're part of the answer to that. So thank you, Chris, and thanks to Matt and Rebecca and Sarah. You should talk to all of these guys after service and just find out a little bit more about the trip. It would be wonderful to take another trip next year. But here's why this all ties together. If there were not a bigger story, we would wallow in our pain. If there were not a God at work bringing peace into the world, we would go through something difficult like the, the, the shooting thing and say, whoa, whoa. Oh, terrible. Oh, okay, let's just change the subject. But because of Jesus, we can say, you know what? Even in the midst of that, God has brought his peace to us. And if God has brought his peace to us, then we are here for a reason, church. Every one of us is here with an assignment, with a mission, with a mandate from God that says, go and live in this world as ones who carry peace. Carry peace in your relationships with each other. Carry and announce the favor of God that has come in Christ to others with our words, but also in the form of action. Peace to the favored ones. We say yes, God. And then we go on and say this to others. Amen? If we prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord this morning, this is the moment where we can say, God, remind us again how we were outside. Remind us again how we once felt like the unfavored ones. Remind us again what it meant to be thought of as the enemy of God. Remind us what it was like again. And thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. So take a moment and let the Spirit just kind of nudge your heart. I don't want to rush through this part of our service. I know we started a little later. We're going to end just a little bit later. It's all right. They'll have the streets more cleared by the time you get out. But just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, where do I need to say yes to you? Maybe some of you have never heard that God has brought peace to you, not because of how good you've been, Maybe some of you in the midst of your own trial and your own suffering need to say, God, help me to believe that I am favored because of Jesus. Help me to believe that I have been set right with God because of Jesus. Take a moment and just quietly where you are begin to pray.